Jolly good day to you, and welcome to Phil Pheasant's Movie Podcast, where American Bradley and British Daniel revolutionize film talk. Join us as we tackle a new double feature each show. This week's theme being book movies, movies based off books, but they might not be the ones that you uh, would think of when you first think of book movies, um, but we'll get into that later. Daniel, how are you doing today? Yeah, pretty well. It's getting cold into the winter months, but but I'm doing all right. Yeah, got to nice. watch a few nice new films um, alongside these older films for the podcast. So yeah, it's been a good mix. Yeah, real good mix. Yeah, cold over here too. Are you a big Christmas guy? I don't think we've ever talked about Christmas before. I am quite a big Christmas guy. I feel like most of the year there's not much of an excuse to just be jolly and happy, and I quite enjoy. <laughs> I quite enjoy that. People getting into the festive spirit. Maybe we could even do a bonus Christmas episode. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, What's on the horizon? Hey, I know we got we got fans demanding a lot of things. So if we could get around to it. <laughs> but you don't need an excuse to be jolly, Dan. You're always jolly anyway. Yeah, you you been out to watch any new films, Brad? Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to bring this up. Um. Last night I went to the theater. First time in a while I went to the movies because it's expensive here. Um, mm-hmm. But I saw Thanksgiving. Have you heard about the movie Thanksgiving? Uh, I haven't. I haven't got got out to watch that one yet. But I have heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was honestly. I would highly recommend it. It was a really fun slasher. A lot of really good quotable lines, and um, the deaths were just outrageous. It was. It was fun. Really good time. Yeah. No. I watched the trailer. I was quite intrigued, but it wasn't. It was only playing at like this other cinema, which was slightly further away from me, so I didn't manage to go. Oh, okay. Well, if if you miss it in the theaters, it's it's a good movie to watch with your friends. Don't watch it alone because there's just there's too many funny things. You're gonna want to turn to somebody and just and just laugh at it, you know. <laughs> but if you're intrigued, I definitely recommend. It was it was directed by Eli Roth, who um, is in a couple Tarantino movies. He's had a really interesting career. Are you familiar with him? I mean, I mean, I know him. I don't know if I've watched any of his films necessarily. I know he did the Hostel film, which is like mm-hmm. a lot of people. Sight is like one of the the main films of the the whole like torture porn genre, so I'm mm-hmm. not really sure if I'm interested in that um, per se. But you know, this one, this new one looks quite fun and like cookie. So yeah, yeah, you got it right. I've heard Hostel. I haven't seen it either. I've heard it's more like yeah, the like the torture aspect. Um, this one, not so much. It, it's more just relies on on funny lines, funny kills, and just honestly dumb characters a lot of the time. Which is right up my alley. So if that's your thing, I, I would definitely, uh, definitely recommend. Yeah, have you seen? Is that the only one you've seen? I went to see Napoleon the other day. Okay, how'd that go? Very, very interesting. Um, I kind of w- want to reserve my opinion for this four-hour cut, which is supposedly exists and is apparently oh, going to okay. be on like um, streaming in a few months. It's because I, it, it felt a bit muddled. There's a lot going on. Um, okay, the fight scenes are really good, but it's <laughs> very very silly. So yeah, yeah, I'm mixed on it. I'm mixed. All right, cool. Yeah, I want to get around to seeing Napoleon. Honestly, at this point, I might wait. Just wait for the four hour cut because I did hear that it it did feel a bit rushed. Like a lot of people said, he didn't even seem like really a smart tactician or anything. He just kind of placed a cannon in a couple places, and then they just went to town. <laughs> Yeah, Ridley Scott's not really concerned with historical accuracy here. That's one thing I, I would say. Okay. I also heard they spoke English the entire time, not even with any sort of like accent. They all spoke as if they were native speakers of English, of British English. Yeah, pretty much. I, I don't mind that too much. If you're going to speak in English, you might as well just speak in English, not bother with the French accent nonsense. Um, so yeah, I don't mind that too much. But yeah, that is true. All right, yeah. I don't know how to feel. I mean, I'll have to watch it, obviously. Can't make assumptions about movies before you see them. Yeah. Anything else you saw? Any of the new ones? You see Maestro yet? Oh, yeah, I saw Maestro. I think we talked about a bit about Maestro last time. Um, cause I oh, saw we did? It okay, my bad. At the festival. Right. I've, seen a, lo- I've right. seen a bunch of other stuff, but if we start talking about that, we'll be on forever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be going on and on. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll have to get around to that, too. Well, all right, Dan. The two movies we have to talk about today are Mambo Kings from 1992 
and east of Eden from 19, <clears throat> excuse me, 55. Which one do you want to start with? Hmm. I say we we go backwards in time. Let's start with Mambo Kings. Um, that was my choice. Um, I I feel like I first need to do a bit of explaining. Why on earth have right. I chosen this film? Which <laughs> essentially I don't see anybody talking about. Well, one, I value important journalism, fi- finding forgotten gems, you know. We're on the <laughs> vanguard here on the film pheasants. But no, no. I Basically, whilst I was researching um, films based on books to try and find something to watch, which was a bit more off the beaten path, I was looking for stuff based off um, Spanish language books. And eventually I got to... Um, down some kind of Wikipedia rabbit hole with Antonio Banderas. And I see this film, which I'd never heard of, called Mambo Kings. I just think that's interesting. And then the Wikipedia of this page is fascinating. I don't know if you've looked at it. Have you looked at the Wikipedia? No. No. Okay, wow. It's filled with, like, <laughs> insights into the film's production, the the storied history of how it tried to get made and failed and then tried to get made again and how it bombed at the box office. How um, the guy who bought the the rights to the script was like, I have to direct this because I don't trust anybody else to do it, even though he wasn't really, really a known director. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just a fascinating behind the scenes story. So I was like, I have to see the film which comes out of this. And anything <laughs> with Antonio Banderas and like a theme of fun music always always gets me going, to be honest. So see, so that was wow. the backstory for, for why I chose this film. Yeah, okay, this just got a lot more compelling. Because on the surface, this is sort of a musical, family, drama, American dream, um, trying to achieve um, like success when moving from a different country. Um, and I didn't know, okay, we'll get all, into the, all that in, all that interesting stuff. I'll, I'll poke around on the Wikipedia. Dan, what was this movie about? Okay, so, so, if, so as far as I know, the book, which I've put my hands up, I have not read the book, um, spans a long period in the life of these two um, brothers from Cuba. And essentially they both play a certain genre of music known as mambo, um, which is kind of like the typical like Latin music you might really think of, to be honest. Um, I'm sure there's like genre niches within there, but if you just think kind of like fun, upbeat, Latin music, like big band, something similar to this is going to come into your head. Um, yeah, yeah the, books, the books spans a long period in their lives, whereas the film essentially takes only the first part of the book and adapts it. Um, and basically it's about these two musicians. They move from Cuba at the very, very beginning of the film to, um, I think, it's, is it Miami? Um, no, I thought they moved to New York. Well, they, <laughs> yeah, it probably it's New York. I don't. I I'm ignorant of American geography. Clearly, um, they move somewhere in America and um, try and get themselves integrated into the local music scene. And as Brad says, it's kind of American dream. Them trying to rise up within the industry, and they find themselves um, involved in various romances along the way. And one of the main themes is the younger brother, played by Antonio Banderas, um, essentially left Cuba, but he still loves someone in Cuba called Maria. And this kind of plays out in various ways throughout the film. Yeah. And uh, it's it's not too, like when you watch it, it kind of plays out like a normal family drama with, <clears throat> excuse me, with some great musical sequences and yeah, I mean, the acting was great. We got Antonio Banderas, and um, I wasn't familiar with the other actor in it, but um, a lot of people were like him. Armand Asante mm-hmm. um, was also in it, and they play those two Cuban brothers that moved to, Uni- to the U- United States. Um, and I thought it was really compelling. I mean, of course, Antonio Banderas does a great job. He was a young stud. Honestly, I haven't seen anything this early in his career. He was a young stud, um, still holding on to this girl from uh, Cuba, as Dan mentioned. Um, and I found myself really just enjoying the musical sequences 
And then I would say about 70% of the more emotional sequences hit for me. I, I don't know how much you would agree. Is, is that a hot take? I see that's the, quite like, a high ratio, I would say. I would say less oh, than really 70. High. Yeah. yeah, definitely well, less than 70 hit for me. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it, I, it like made me cry, but I'm just mean. I'm just being like, yeah, okay, this is an interesting family drama. Um, yeah, it's certainly interesting. I, it's worth noting it's Antonio Banderas's first role in English. Um, oh, so I before this, he'd um, worked a lot with um, directors in Spain, and in particular Armadovar, who, of course, is one of my great loves in cinema. Um, but no, this was his first English role, and um, it's interesting how. Essentially, they, it's an entirely fictional story of these two guys, but they're placed into the real world of the music scene with like known people such as Celia Cruz and then Desi Arnaz and various other name checks. Interesting fact about Desi Arnaz, when they meet Desi Arnaz in the film, you probably wouldn't have known this because you haven't gone down the Wikipedia rabbit hole like I have. <laughs> yeah. But, Desi Arnaz Jr., the son of Desi Arnaz, plays Desi Arnaz in the film. Oh, really? And that's like the only time he's done that. That's fun. Um, okay. Initially, one of the reasons the film was not going to get made was because of Desi Arnaz's family refusing to um, include him as a character. Wow, okay. That's interesting stuff. So somehow, you wouldn't some, know that from... Something happened between the refusal to get it made and then him suddenly being in the film playing his own dad. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's neat. That's neat. Did he Did he get credits at the end? He's credited, yeah. All right, nice. Cool. Yeah, you wouldn't know it from just watching it. It's kind of just a standard mov movie... Uh, excuse me. Like, musical movie and different parts, but... Um, what did you think of like um, of like the audio mixes and and the music? Because this is the classic case where I found that the dialogue was too low and the music was way too loud, and half the time I couldn't even hear the dialogue. I had to watch it with subtitles. Oh, I didn't. I didn't necessarily have that issue. One thing which I thought was weird in the audio mix was it seems to me like there was a lot of ADR. Do you know what ADR is, Brad? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like additional yep. recorded um, dialogue after the fact. So there's some, like, the certain clips of line readings which get inserted in there, which you just think really take you out of it because it doesn't sound like they're coming from the environment because there's a lot of really obvious, not very well integrated ADR. Um I didn't have an issue with the music and the dialogue being at loads of different levels. I thought the music sequences were basically the only reason to watch the film because <laughs> they were very good all around. Yeah. But, I f but I thought a lot of the dialogue-heavy interactions were a bit... I don't know. Something, something about them just felt a bit, like, inauthentic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, some of it is 90s camp. Definitely some of it is yeah. 90s camp. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, the thing is, I, I definitely bought into the love interest aspect. And one thing that this movie does that is different from, I feel like a lot of, I don't know, I haven't really seen this. This, this, this isn't like a common movie trope, is that they have um, Antonio Banderas's character, like falling, like finding a girl, meeting her in a park. And then like, they kind of have a cute little moment. And then she ends up coming to the club where he's playing his trumpet and she gets to see him. And then she ends up seeing his brother in the movie. And then, like, falling in love with him at first sight. And then for the rest of the movie, she gets married to uh, Antonio Banderas. But you just know, like, she's, like, kind of in love with his brother. <laughs> and I thought mm. it was just an interesting sort of, I don't know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a turn that wasn't totally necessary. But I felt just added a little bit of spice to the story. That's not quite how I interpreted it, to be honest. Oh, really? How'd you I, interpret it? I interpret it as she very much loved the younger brother. But as time went on, the initial spark, which caused them to have a child, went out. Mm. And she just sees, um, what's the, uh, Cesar, Antonio Banderas' character? Uh, Cesar? He's Nestor. 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 Um, sees Nestor for falling more and more back in love with Maria. And she basically just becomes depressed and despondent. All the while... The older brother does seem to have something for her rather than the other way around. 
And it's only yeah. kind of towards the very end of their relationship that it becomes like a mutual thing. Yeah, I I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it wasn't until Antonio Banderas like kind of uh, kind of let himself go, if you will, and that was when their their connection kind of fell. I see what you mean, but I just remember there was that dance portion in that like first day that they met Antonio Banderas, and um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. There's too many there's too many characters in this movie, but either way, when Nestor and and the girl he had met at the park were dancing um, together, she was they were slow dancing, and I feel like the um, the girl was just looking straight ahead, kind of with a wide-eyed stare, kind of like thinking, like, "Oh wow, her, her his brothers, you know, his brother might might be the man for me." And, I see uh, what you mean. Me, yeah. I'm gonna. There's yeah. a, there's a lot. I'm gonna of try to find the name. Ambiguity in some ways between like the rivalry between the brothers and who's doing what for who, and if they actually really love each other, or if they're just in it for their own skin in the game which creates some complexity in the film i suppose it's kind of yeah, like a running theme and just for the record just to get us on track um her name's dolores um, of course dolores she, yeah yeah and she plays um she plays a, I believe a cuban-american woman it's not explicitly stated but um and it's actually played by a, a dutch woman i'm not sure if you knew that you know classic old movies when you could just cast race however the heck you wanted, you know? Well, you say that. To bring it back to, to Maestro, um, the the wife in that film is played by, oh my God, Carrie Mulligan. Um, but, and she's supposed to be Cuban. Or is, no, not she, not Cuban, um, Chilean, I think, sorry. Oh, really? She's supposed to be Latino, anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, de- definitely really interesting. I guess it's, it, you know, a lot of people can look like they're from a lot of different places, uh, but, you know, they, it kind of it kind of takes away from it if they ever have to speak a different language and they're they sound not native in that second language. And you're like, mm. why, why did you just cast somebody who spoke that language? You know what I mean? It just makes everything easier. I don't know. But I couldn't tell personally. Um, Dan and I are pretty good at Spanish and <laughs> the Spanish sequences where this Dutch actress had to speak Spanish. I couldn't. You know, I wasn't totally like, wow, they totally just casted somebody who can't speak it. But I don't know. It's just kind of like a, why yeah, not just I cast somebody? I didn't notice it? that, to be honest. So yeah, where, where yeah, did we land on this film overall? I feel like we're kind of tiptoeing around the, the overall subject. Like, what, what did you think? Um, Listen, it, it's filled with great musical parts. The music was great. Antonio Banderas, like, I, I really liked his acting and how he played this kind of guy. He was very emotional and he didn't necessarily want this American dream that his brother had. But like you said, I, even in saying this, I'm tiptoeing a bit. I liked it. <laughs> I did not love it. I liked it. I think I like it a bit more after knowing that there was a lot of sort of difficulty getting this to the big screen and how it was a flop. But there's, a, you know, the, the guy who wrote it really wanted to direct it and wouldn't take no for an answer. I think that's I, I mean, I just like that stuff. It just makes it makes it it makes the viewing experience a little bit more interesting and thinking about it after also a little bit more interesting. Um, so I'm gonna say I liked it. I, if I were, if I had to score it, I would give it a six point five out of ten, which is pretty good. Okay, okay. Before I give my kind of, I suppose overall comments on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember the wacky um, CGI scene in the middle? Okay. Uh... <laughs> where, where the, the Celia Cruz, I think it is, is singing a song. And you see yeah. her in the foreground, and in the background, um, it's all the images going, like, going behind her. And yeah. she's kind of walking across the images, and you can, like, oh. see the, the horribly cut outlines of, 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 like, the CGI. Yes, that was incredible. And then it was a transition to the next scene, right? Wasn't that <laughs> yeah, the idea but it was, like, that? a very, very yes. long transition. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> that I actually have that written down. I, I forgot to bring it up. That is... That was awesome. That was I watched that and I'm like, <laughs> I love that so much. If there was too much of that, of course it would it would have just been like, wow. But it was there just one transition was just this outrageous, you're right, CGI, like just weird human drifting across the screen. Yeah. That was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. Also, spoilers for the for the most kind of shocking moment in the film. I mean, I know we've, we've mm-hmm. said it before on the podcast, we will spoil the films at some point. We're, yeah, this so, is a spoiler podcast. 
so far we haven't really discussed anything which would be like wow but yeah definitely not but right now we need to get into something what did you think about the death of antonio banderas yeah i think we're gonna have a similar opinion because it so this is what happens. He gets into it. They get into a car accident. Um, and then the span of 30 seconds, um, they find his body dead. The funeral happens. And then about 45 seconds after the initial car crash, we're already moved on from the death. And like the brother is like, is like moved on and like opened up a new club. And I'm like, holy crap. We spent like 45 seconds on this man's death. And of course, you know, the characters are still dealing with it. But as far like if you skipped ahead a minute, you wouldn't know that he was dead. Because the car accident, the funeral happens in such quick succession. So that that's what struck me. Um, it was it was pretty emotional for me. Still, I not like I cried or anything. It it, it kind of takes a lot for me to cry at movies, but um, it just happened so quick and it was kind of it was really oddly paced because the rest of the movie they kind of take their time with a lot of this stuff and then a death happens and it was like it was like that. It was so rapid and then they they move past it. So um, what, what what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, fairly similar. I felt it was very rushed. It's that whole like something happens and then you immediately cut to the funeral can always feel a bit comic even though it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Um I do think it did like I mean it has a major impact on the rest of the film, I think. In terms of like how the brother feels. There's that really kind of I feel like one of the best sequences is the brother goes back to a photo booth that he was in with his younger brother and he starts getting photos completely depressed he throws away this book which is about like america and he just looks completely just completely downtrodden in that scene i think that's some like real emotionally resonating moment amongst a lot of moments which just feel a bit inauthentic as i said before um but no i i did feel it was very sudden um i didn't hate the decision i've i thought it was handled well like in the scene before how all the focus is on him playing the trumpet and you can see he's kind of clearly dealing with something mentally so just yeah. kind of foreshadow what happens but yeah i didn't know how to feel about it i didn't love it um no it's probably something to do with the 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 messy production that it felt so rushed i i feel yeah it definitely could be maybe they they chose to add it in um you know later in production so they didn't have enough time to sort of plan it out to its full i don't know could be anything but um yeah it d- definitely did lead up to one of those authentic moments where the where the brother like you said throws the book in the fire um and i thought i thought that theme was pretty cool because the the older brother um caesar he he almost he doesn't force his brother to come to america with him but it was his idea he's kind of like all right we're gonna go to america and we're going to become stars and the little brother never really wanted that he kind of like i i actually like this this there's a couple lines of dialogue where the older brother says you're gonna you're gonna be playing your song in the you're gonna be singing your song in the shower and the little brother goes maybe it's fine if i only have if i only sing in the shower maybe it's fine if no one no one hears it mm. i think that's a it's good sort of contrasting it's like one guy really wants to be famous and then the other guy's like he really just he really just wants um he wants to go back to cuba essentially and wants to be back with his um with his ex ex-girlfriend um, so mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty cool theme, how, you know, some people just don't care about the spotlight. Um, and his lack of care about the spotlight kind of gave him an emptiness that um, almost led to his demise. I mean, it was just a simple car accident, so it wasn't necessarily his fault. But um, he kind of he he died uh, not really not really being sure of himself as like a as a famous figure. And I, I thought that was a pretty cool theme. It could have been expanded upon a bit more, um, but definitely one of the more interesting parts of the story. Yeah, I would say I would say that's probably the, the right word for this film is interesting. I would say it doesn't yeah. come. It's interesting. It's not amazing. Um, it's kind of a. It's a. It stands out within the films of the day in some ways, but then in other ways, it very much blends in. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad I saw it. Um, I thought if you were to kind of pick out one sequence, there's a sequence towards the mm-hmm. beginning where the older brother gets up on stage and starts playing the drums. And I was like, this is this is just fantastic filmmaking, that sequence. Um, it kind of has like a Babylon-esque thing where um, the camera z- zooms into like the, like the, 
the mouth of a, of a trumpet zooms on like mm-hmm. the drumsticks and cuts really quickly back and forth, back and forth. And then suddenly it all explodes at the end and someone gets shot. And I was like, if the whole film was like that, oh my God, this would be like an all timer. Cause that sequence yeah. was like yeah. top tier. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. That was, that was a really cool scene. It was, it was the quick cuts with the music. And then you just see sort of in, in within these quick cuts, you see somebody take out the gun and then the mute and then the, the gun, like at the, at the climax of the song, the gun gets shot. Everybody goes silent and runs out. But then the older brother's still banging on the drums on the, on the stage that that was really neat. And also did give me, um, you know, if, if you will, excuse me, excuse my, my Gen Z language, but it gave me Babylon vibes. If yeah. You will. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that was great i know you're a big babylon fan i loved babylon i thought that was great yeah yeah i felt like i was gonna throw up at the end of it but uh, i still enjoyed it <laughs> fair enough fair enough we saw that together do you remember yeah yeah of course of course yeah that was great good well but all yeah. right dano i think that's that's about it for mambo kings yeah Any why did thoughts? you choose um east of eden brad all right east of eden I chose this uh, kind of simple reasons. I read the book over the summer, and okay. um, a lot of the times, yeah, a lot of the times with these sort of older movies, I struggle to kind of sit down and 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 watch it all. Um, I, I could I find them a little bit dull sometimes. I'm sorry to admit for fans of movies. I, I have a buddy um, who lives uh, really close to me. He's huge, huge, huge fan of movies from like the 30s, 40s, 50s. That's like his thing. He loves them. Um, and I, you know, I've watched a few with him. I, I, I can't get into them as much as he can. Anyways, all that to say, I wanted to have to like talk about East of Eden to sort of give me a, a little bit more to hold on to as I watched it. So I find mm. that when I watch movies for the podcast, I, I delve, I, I, I think about it a little bit more deeply than if I were just casually watching a movie, say on a Friday night, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read the book East of Eden over the summer, was interested in, in the movie. My mom is actually a big fan of this movie. Um, so she, while I was reading the book, she was like, oh my God, I love the movie. My mom loves James Dean. Um, so that's why, I mean, I guess she saw the movie when she was young and just fell in love with James Dean then and there. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of why I chose it. Just kind of read the book, wanted to see what the movie was all about. I heard, to some people, this is a classic. I don't know if, if you've sort of heard this. Well, but, I, I mean, I, I've heard about the film, yeah. I think it's only really because of the James Dean element. Because obviously he so yeah. famously was only in a handful of films and then unfortunately had his career cut short by a tragic death as far as I know um, and then I think he got a posthumous um, Oscar nomination for this role um, yeah I, I mean it's it's quite famous because of the whole James Dean um, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how, how you found the book because apparently it differs a lot from the film what was that you said they give the us book. a lot for the film I'm oh, saying yeah. the book, it apparently differs a lot from the film. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, so I'll start talking about the plot of the movie, and then we could uh, delve a little bit into, like, the book differences, because it's pretty similar to Mambo Kings in that regard, actually. But um, anyways, East of Eden is the 1955 movie um, based on the John Steinbeck film of the same name. And um, basically, it's this family drama um, about, um, like, a wealthy father and his two sons. They're twins. Um, one son is good. I'm putting that in air quotes. And one son is bad. Because one of the themes throughout the movie is if you're if you're born a certain way, can you ever change that? If you're good, will you do ever will you ever do anything bad? If you're and if you're bad, could you ever do anything good? Do you have like a choice in the matter? Um, and James Dean plays the sort of evil, evil. I put it in quotes because he's a good character, but I he he plays like the quote unquote evil brother. And throughout the movie, um, there's a there's a bit of romance between um, the good brother. His name's Aaron, so I'll start calling him Aaron. Aaron has a girlfriend that he plans to marry, but James Dean, Cal, um, Cal also like feels a connection to this girl. And it's sort of about them uh, like navigating their world with with Cal wanting to be a good man. And um, also alongside this is is um, a subplot of their father is tr- uh, he has a lot of money and he's trying to um, be the first guy to successfully use ice boxes to transport um, vegetables across the country via the, via, via a train. So there's a lot, there's a big subplot of um, him doing that and failing and then losing a lot of money, but we'll get into that. So um, to answer your question, Dan, finally, uh, 
So the book, it's honestly exactly how you describe Mambo Kings, because you said Mambo Kings that like what we saw in the movie was just the like the last third of the book, I believe you said, right? The first, the first third, I think. Oh, the first third. Okay, never mind. It's it's different than that. Because East of Eden, um, it's about, I would say, the last like, yeah, I would say the last third of the book. Because um, in the book, you add the book actually starts with their dad as a young boy. He's like the main character at the beginning. And then it takes like half the book just for the two, our two twins to be born. They're not born until like halfway through right. the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it cuts it cuts down a lot. Um, but I didn't have an issue with it. I, I actually, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think one of the reasons I really enjoyed it was because John Steinbeck had a big role in actually writing this movie. Um, which I feel like nowadays with, with book movies, that's kind of unheard of. You never really see the... Maybe they have a little bit of a say, but they're never one of like the main, you know, um, credited writers of the movie. And John Steinbeck had a big role in writing this movie. Um, so I thought it, it, it remained true to the book in the parts that it needed to. It meandered a little bit from parts that it didn't need to. And overall, yeah, I liked it. What, what were your thoughts on it? Well, before I go ahead, I should, we should mention it's set around the 1910s. Uh, even though it's a 1950s film, it's set in the 1910s. And yeah, good to know. It's set around kind of the era of the First World War, and that has a mm-hmm. major impact on the plot. Um, no, what did I think of it? I'm probably going to disappoint you and every listener of this podcast. And the I pheasants? Did, I didn't like it. Dan, how could you do this to the pheasants community? I'm, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought... Um, the first half is very dull. Nothing happens. Um, I thought Cal was took a long time to become anything with a bit of depth. Um, he's just kind of a whingy, annoying character. Um, the brother, like, like this whole like good and bad thing, like yeah. it's far too like on the nose. Like as a as a, as a kind of um, story point, there's, there's nothing to say other than one brother is more loved by the father, and the other one tries to get that love away from that brother onto him. That's the whole film, and it's not like there's increasingly interesting ways of how they go about this. There's like, there's hardly any incident in the film, and there's not enough emotional depth in the film to make up for the lack of incident. So it's just boring. <laughs> Dang, Dan, you're coming down on an American classic. I think you're just jealous of America. Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, I definitely see your point. There's a lot to it that's very on the nose. And it, it leaves a lot, like, you kind of wish there's a little bit more substance to hold on to. And um, I think sort of, um, I think that's almost the nature of the beast with this specific story. I say that because um, East of Eden is, um, it's a dense book. It's not a short book by any means, but um, a lot of it can be almost viewed as a bit allegorical. Um, a lot of the characters are one dimensional. That's actually one of the big issues that people have with the book is that their mom, um, Kathy is her name, um, the twins mother. Um, she is just pure evil. She has no motivation. She's just evil. Um and that's sort of uh, just... Uh, in the book. You know, in yes, this is in the book. Okay. She's pure evil. Um, she's just evil incarnate. And uh, that's sort of just the plot device that Steinbeck uses to, uh, you know, to set up these twin boys and, and the battle between good and evil. But I I think for its time, it was definitely a bit more interesting than how we're viewing it now. Um, but I think what, what hooked me a little bit more than for you, Dan, was um, I really like the setting. I mean, there are some really pretty shots of, um, it takes place in Northern California, a town called Salinas. Um, and there are some really pretty shots of, of the coast. And, and also just, I don't know, to me, California has been built up so much over the last 100 years. It's kind of interesting to, to see it like this, like before they even had paved roads. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. And now it's apparently, from what I hear, it's, it, it's very overcrowded. Um, so it's also just interesting to kind of see this, uh, this, this area of California sort of like snapshotted in time here. Um, but yeah, it definitely, the story can be a bit allegorical. So I definitely can see why you view it as, as kind of dull, but to me, okay, I want to talk about this too. To me, James Dean's performance was compelling enough for me to sort of buy into his character, but you disagreed. You didn't think he was, he was studly charismatic bad boy that, that Americans think. Hmm. 
I think if you want that, you should probably look more to something like Rebel Without a Cause. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the film, I think? Yeah. There's a lot more it. of that traditional kind of smoldering James Dean in that film. Um, it did surprise me at the start of the film when I was like, wow, he's he he's playing completely against what I thought James Dean was in some ways. How um, so? Well, because at the start of the film, he is he's literally... Uh, and nobody who just um, sobs in the corner and whinges and like is a bit of a freak. Like I don't know, it's it's very not what you would expect. Um, yeah, he's a he's an edge lord. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if I agree with that, but yeah, um, but no. <laughs> a lot of people say this is allegorical because it reflects the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible. Um, I don't know if you've read about that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Bible's invoked quite a bit in this film. The father seems to be a man of God. Um, yep. And the mother makes an interesting point that he basically uses the Bible kind of as a shield to um, to not really express his true feelings. He basically just reads from the Bible instead and kind of right. preaches other people's um, ideas rather than actually engaging with his own. I think that's an interesting element of this film. Um, but yeah, there's an yeah. interesting <laughs> parallel <laughs> with Mambo Kings, um, with the two brothers who both kind of vie for the same woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, we find connections everywhere, Dan. Yeah, we, we, do. we do. I can't believe last month we just happened to find two movies with weird phone calls. This month we're finding movies with two brothers. Yeah, I know. Good it stuff. is crazy. It's a crazy world out there. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'll, but I'll I... let you talk a bit about this film. Tell me why. Tell me why you like it. You know, maybe um, try and persuade me a bit. Just try to persuade you. Well, I don't know, Dan. You're, I don't know if there's any persuading. You seem like you really disliked it. But anyways, sort of. Uh, I liked it. I because I think James Dean really sold this sort of. You're right. This mopey. He he's a bit of a freak. He he he's in the corner. But but looking devilishly handsome the whole time. To me, I could kind of buy into this character, I think, a little bit more than you. I think it might just come down to personal preference. But I could kind of buy into him. He's he knows he's a bad boy and he does these bad things because he kinda of had he's just it's ingrained I mean, he's he's also a, a teenager, you know, plenty of teenagers have that kind of attitude. Um, but at the same time he wants to break free from that. And the whole idea between whether or not you have a choice between good and evil, or or evil always just ends up happening to you even when you try hard. Um, I think is a really cool theme. So, like, in this movie, how uh, Cal, that's James Dean's character. I realize I haven't used his character's name that much. So, Cal, his way of doing good and just being a good boy is to, um, he's going to pay his dad all the money that his dad lost from the icebox failing. So, his dad fills up a whole train with ice and lettuce and ships it out east to the eastern United States. And it's a total failure and his dad loses a lot of money. So, Cal says, okay... I'm going to um, I'm going to invest in beans. I'm going to borrow some money and invest in beans, and I'm going to pay my dad back all that money. Just I'm, I want to be a good person. I want to do something morally good. And he works really hard to do it. It takes him a while, and he grants his dad the, this money on his dad's birthday. And his dad says no because his dad has too much pride to take um, money from his son like this. And he's like, I don't want this son. I wish you would. I wish you would just find a woman like your brother. And that's when James Dean, that's when Cal was like, oh my God, like, you know, I just worked so hard to be good and my brother didn't even try. And what he, and he's, all he's doing is marrying a girl and, and, and he's, and my dad's so much more proud of him, so much more happier that he's in his life than me. And I'm trying to be good. So that's what, that's why I think the theme is really cool of Cal's character saying, no matter what I do, I'm like, nobody will accept me as good. I'm always just going to be this bad guy doing silly things. Um, and that's when the, the plot really takes a, a cool turn because then Cal, in a fit of anger, um, shows his brother, Aaron, he shows him his, um, his biological mother, Kathy, um, and Kathy has not been in their lives this entire time. Aaron doesn't even know that their mother is still alive. So Cal shows, um, Cal shows Aaron, his mother, and she's a prostitute working in a brothel. And then of course, this it's dramatized, and and then so in the end, Cal ends up being, um, Cal ends up being the bad guy. Yes, Dan, I see an inquisitive I d- face. She's not. She's not. She runs the brothel. 
Yeah, well, she was, like, yeah, I, I realize in the movie it might not necessarily be this way. Earlier in the book, she's she's a prostitute, and then she opens up her own house. Well, it seems to me she's, she runs the whole business, and that's how she has the money to lend Cal. Um, yeah, which which she does. I, I just mean, like, um, yeah, so, it like, towards the beginning, like, before the movie starts, she's, like, a prostitute, and then she, she makes enough money, works her way up, and meets enough people in the business to open up her own, and then she becomes very wealthy and, like, a very uh, intuitive businesswoman. Okay, well, that's, well, that, um, that, that's not in the film, though. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's just me adding stuff to the book. So that's, I guess that's, that's to answer your question, that's why I, I find a little bit more value um, in it. And I don't know, the Battle of Good and Evil is just inherently more interesting than me, I guess. But even even with all that being said, it's still, like, the theme doesn't really hit for you. Well, I did fiend, I did find the moment when Carl gets rejected by his father with the money quite, I thought that was well done. Um, I liked the whole sequence um, when he's at the fun fair. I think he comes into like the interesting bad boy archetype, which you're talking about um, mm-hmm. in that scene. And it is devastating when the father says, no, I don't want your money. But also like it to me, to me, it's just like undercut. He like he says something completely ridiculous, like I just wanted your love, father. Oh, and it's like, yes, I understood that. That's what the whole film's been about. You don't need to shout it in my face. Um, you make a good point. <laughs> and then, and then also, but also the father makes an interesting point. Basically, the only reason this guy's got this money, I mean, he doesn't believe James Dean even earned it, really, um, mm-hmm. which is quite um, sad. But he makes an interesting point. Like, you've, you've got the money from these beans just because we went to war. You expect me to take what is basically um, blood money because we've went to war and that's the only reason why these beans have cost so much money. And he he makes a point, something about the soldiers. He makes like a subtle point there, which I thought, you know what? That's a kind of valid reason, you know? It's mm-hmm. not it's not valid to make his son feel like that, but he has an interesting point. And I feel like the stuff about the war is where the film's most interesting and become its most complex, whereas where it's more about this kind of allegory of good versus evil, um, n- nature versus nurture. I just, I just found it so um, one bland, yeah, and boring. I it mean, was two, over two hours. There's like two plot points. The, no, the, Dan, it was an hour and 55 minutes. The The first five minutes is just a, a screen which has Overture on it, and you watch a bit of music. <laughs> Dan, I thought you would like that. <laughs> I mean, I would have no, liked it if the film which followed had been any good. Yeah, and th- this is why it's funny, too, because um, like my mom doesn't really like boring movies, but she loves this one, and I feel like movies that you like, Dan, that she would think were boring she would really dislike. But for some reason, this one just like totally flip-flops, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, for some reason, uh, I think a lot of people maybe just grew up with this movie, maybe watched it, especially people our parents' age were fairly young when they um, when they had the opportunity to see it, and then they kind of, um, maybe they, they view it with a bit of a rose-colored lens. But I definitely see what you're saying. There's a lot of moments where I'm like, okay, this is this is a bit dull, for sure. This is a bit dull. But I think those moments, I don't know. I just I just buy into it more. You know, I just buy more into this bad boy archetype. I buy more into um, um, Abra, who is the who is Aaron's girlfriend, uh, Julie Harris, who I realize is in like all these movies from this era. That's besides the point. I I really buy into that romance and 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 her confliction between um, between Aaron and Cal. And I don't know. I th- I just buy into it more. So that that you know that gives it some leniency in 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 my head, you know. If there's a shot that's lingering a little bit too long, um, I sort of give it the benefit of the doubt, whereas a lot of other viewers wouldn't. And I think that's probably because um, I read the book. <laughs> it's as simple as that, you know what I mean. But you you shouldn't have to read the book in order to enjoy the movie, you know. So. Yeah, I don't think you should, and I feel like maybe you buy into it more and think there's more depth there. Because you have all the depth of the book, potentially. I think on a craft level, this film is actually really well done. Um, it reminded me a lot of Citizen Kane at some points. There's lots of kind of oh. really dramatic um, Dutch angles and like um, angles like from above or from below. So people 
are framed in really interesting ways, I think, in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, there's like a scene at like a dinner table where the father's kind of framed like on a diagonal and all these kind of like little subtle things. I think this is like, like this is really good. Like the actual craft is pretty good, mm-hmm. but it's just a shame that what it's supporting lacks substance. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, I don't know, Dan. I do think it's a little bit deeper than what you're saying, though. Like, I, you know, because I do get what you're saying, especially with these with these older movies. It's, it tends to be a little bit more simple than what we're used to seeing. But I, I do think it has a little bit more depth than what you're giving it credit for. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I was just not mm-hmm. in the right the right space to watch this one. I don't know. Um, maybe I didn't give it enough time of day. But I didn't fully latch onto it the way I was hoping to. All right. Well, uh, listen, man, maybe we, maybe we ought to come back to this one next week. You could watch it again. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe give, it, give it a bit longer than that. Maybe we'll do a one-year anniversary <laughs> and rewatch East of <laughs> I'm just kidding. Honestly, I, dude, I wouldn't put you through that. I don't, I don't know how much you'd like it again on a rewatch. <laughs> but I, this is, I think this is the first time we've really had a, we've, we've had a nice little disagreement on like just, just the movie overall, you know? Yeah, this is the first time I've really kind of disliked one of the films we've watched, to be honest. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been quite a a um a low week for for the movies on the podcast this week. Interesting. Yeah, we got it, but neither of them really shone through. Yeah, I kind of like that though. I kind of like that. Not everything's got to be uh you know so glamorous, you know. But yeah, well, all right, Dano. I think that's kind of concludes my thoughts. As you can tell, I don't have that much more else to to say about it, really. I mean, I'll consult my notes and just double check. But <laughs> yeah, well, what did you think of the? Because uh, the one thing I blatantly did not like, but I realize it's just a product of its time, is just the the really obnoxious like fifties orchestral score. I didn't think the music itself was bad, but it was just so loud and obnoxious in certain parts, and it definitely was like kind of grating. Um, did you have any thoughts on that? I didn't mind the score, to be honest. Um, no, it didn't bother me. I feel like maybe, maybe just because I'm more used to seeing films from this era. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, it definitely could. I be. I kind of just accepted that as like part and parcel of the, the the process of watching the film. But mm-hmm. no, I didn't mind it too much. It didn't stand out in any particular way. I didn't think, "Wow, what an amazing score!" But I know I, I didn't think it was too grating either. All right. Yeah, that's valid. All right, Dan. So, what's what's your score on East of Eden? We could wrap it up in a nice little bow, I suppose. Here, oh, a score. I feel really harsh, but maybe like a three and a half out of ten. Honestly, for 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 how you described it, that that sounds better than than what I thought you would score. Well, maybe I'm giving well, it a little bit of um, historical a bit of kind of point. Yeah. You also did like the way it's shot, so I guess that does bring it up a couple of points. But uh, all right, we'll end it on a high note because I'll I give East of Eden an eight out of ten, a very very solid eight out of ten. But uh, maybe that'll change over time. Um, Dan, have you thought of the theme for next month? Well, I would like to do like holiday films of some kind, maybe lift it up a bit from this kind of um, serious conversation about. Bible allegories and death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, right? Yeah, I think that works. So, uh, holiday movies. Yeah, holiday movies. I mean, probably mostly about Christmas, but you know, any anything counts. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to resist the urge to choose Black Christmas, um, in order to because we just talked about Scream, which was a slasher. I'm not gonna throw another slasher in just two podcasts later. I get to thinking about it. Maybe I'll choose Polar Express and we could just talk about how weird the movie The Polar Express is for, for, for 30 minutes. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I like to try and find films where we might not have necessarily seen the films. Whereas I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of Christmas films are just so in the cultural orbit, it's kind of hard to avoid um, having seen them. Like Polar Absolutely. Express, I'm sure I saw it when I was younger. I don't remember it too well, so it wouldn't be a terrible choice. But I mean, I have heard it's terrible, so maybe it would be. Um, the polar express you're saying yeah uh it's actually very divisive so many people stand by that movie saying it's great and other people just despise it i'm somewhere in the middle i watched i watched like half of it it was just on cable a couple weeks ago and i 
yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty in between but either way you have any thoughts on uh, which one you want to choose yeah i'm not sure yet i'm gonna have to ponder this one for a bit all right all right dan any closing remarks to our fellow pheasants um no i just think the connection's interesting the fact we always seem to find something to to link the two films a 1955 film a 90s movie but there's quite a strong link between the films being about brothers and their kind of romance over the same woman. It's just interesting that the world of film is is ever giving you something even when you don't like the films. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a really good takeaway. And it is funny. These films do really have um a couple like a couple strong aspects of the story in common with with the brother aspect. And and we didn't even mean that. So, yeah, pretty compelling. Um, as a double feature, I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> that goes without saying, I think. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> yeah. You could maybe start on the dour East of Eden and end with the upbeat Mambo Kings, which gets dour at the end anyway. So you're just going to go home yes. depressed. So. Yeah, you're going to be sad. You're going to be really sad. Maybe Polar Express would pair better with East of Eden. Who knows? One thing we, we didn't mention, Beautiful Maria of My Soul. What a song. What a song. It is a, an absolutely fabulous song, but it's 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 tainted by the fact that his Maria no longer wants to be with him. I thought that was a great song. It was written for the film. Um, yeah, I I just had to mention that before we close it out. Kind of no, end, I like end that. it on a positive note. I might add that onto my very, Spotify. Very positive note. All right. With that being said, thank you, pheasants, for joining us. For is this podcast four we just completed? Maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah four cents about right thank you for joining us in our fourth double feature of the film pheasant podcast we really appreciate you guys tuning in um we have a great time doing this even if we have three viewers we'll we'll be content because we have such a good time uh, hanging out and talking about these movies all right thank you everybody and good night peace out